for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And as you're seated, take out your copy of God's Word and turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. If you need a Bible, please uh, grab one on your way in any week. We do have Bibles in the foyer over here. You're welcome to go grab one now if you'd like to uh, follow along with what we are working through. Uh, We are uh, in a series looking through the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Again, that fruit of the Spirit coming from the uh, book of Galatians, Galatians 5.22. says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so we're going to be spending the summer looking through uh, each of those fruits. And last week we started on love. And for a few reasons, after last week, I thought, you know, there's still more I want to talk about. So we're going to do a second week on love today. And that's really what leads us into Romans chapter 13, again, verses 8 through 10. So let us listen to God's holy and errant word. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, God, we come knowing how dependent we are. Father, if we want to be more loving, Father, we know that's a fruit you develop in us. Father, not only to cultivate the heart in it, but Father, the willingness to follow your commands in it. And so, Lord, this is a spiritual work, not done by any ingenuity in my words, not done by any diligence inside of our hearts. But Father, in fact, it comes in receiving your word by faith and looking to you, the one who is love. And so, Lord, strike us with your love. Remind us of your love. Uh, Show us your word, what is true in your word about what your love looks like. And so, Father, in doing that, would you set us on the course that, Father, we be faithful to the commands of life you have before us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is love? Now, I'm going to be a little vulnerable here and, and share a story from my childhood. It was 1984, and the rock band Foreigner put out a song. And they asked the same question, right? They said, I, I want to know what love is. And some of you older people, you can sing along with all, all that song. You know, I want you to show me or whatever. Now, I remember I was a 10-year-old boy at the time. And I remember thinking, you know, I want to know what love is. I don't know what love is. And even though I was so young, it really perplexed me. Um, I learned a lot of what love was. Um, even though I had many good experiences of love, but I, I learned a lot about what it was when I learned the unconditional love of God in Jesus Christ some 10 years later. I especially learned it a few years later when I read a, a wonderful definition of what love was, and it just helped to solidify around me, what is it? And last week we talked about that, talking about how, what love is. You know, love is when we seek the joy of another person. It's not just an emotion, 
but is actually an action which is, you know, underscored by an emotion or emotion which derives itself to action. But, you know, love is something that seeks good. It overcomes obstacles. It, it makes sacrifices for someone else's good. All that is demonstrated in the love of God, which was shown in Jesus. That's what we talked about last week. Now, this week, I thought it was especially urgent to add two words to that definition of love. And those two words were, or are, those two words are, in God. In God. True biblical love is seeking the joy of another person in God. Love is meeting the needs of others in God. And this is why it's important to think of that. It's because in following Christ, we don't just want people to be happy. We want people to be happy in God. And that's because we know that true, long-lasting joy is only found in the Lord. We don't want people to be happy in life-destructive sin. We don't want people to be happy in in soul-destroying unfaithfulness, unbelief. We don't want people to be happy in injuring the people around them in their own sin. We want people to be joyful in the Lord God, and our love compels us Uh, to do what we can to see that happen. Now, there is a kind of false love that our world demands of us when it says this, when a person says this, a person might say this, is that if you don't accept my behavior, then you don't love me. Maybe you've heard that. You've heard somebody say that. If you don't accept my behavior, then you don't love me. At the same time, the person is taking on a a sinful behavior, something that's contrary to God's love, contrary to the good of others, and contrary to their own good. We're not just talking about a difference of opinion here. We're talking about something that is contrary to God's word. Now, this is very hard when it's anybody we love. It's especially hard when it's a child of ours, especially a grown child, when they turn to uh, patterns like this. Can we love them when they choose sinful behavior? And, and the answer is yes, we certainly can. We must, we will. When, when love is present, we want the best for the people that we love, right? And we direct our efforts to seeing the best for them, even if it, even if it doesn't happen, even if it means that we cannot accept a certain behavior as being honoring to God or good for them or uh, consistent with God's design. You know, if we have a fear of future consequences, you know, any of those things, you know, we realize we may love them wanting the best for them while not being able to accept a certain behavior. Love will weep over sin. It weeps over sin when it sees some joy that is unfulfilled in a person's life. By the way, this is how we love our enemies. It's often said, how do we love our enemies? A person might wonder, how do I love my enemy? Well, we never stop wanting the best even for an enemy. We want them to know God, to repent of sin, to trust in him, to walk with God. You know, we want the best for others in love. Now, here's the thing we need to remember is that it is not loving to diminish or to degrade God's law. It's not loving to pretend that God's standards change just because the people that we love choose to disregard them or because they choose to walk in unbelief. Ultimately, as our creator, only God knows what will truly bring a person joy. That's part of him being creator. 
part of the design that he's laid out, and part of the law that he has given to us. And so what our goal is, is help people to rise up, to rise up to God's glorious vision for their life, rise up to God's glorious vision for their future and the structure, not to accept them just in that lowered state. We want them to know the blessing of obedience to God. We want them to dwell in God's love and to know the joy of that. We want them to know Christ so that they can go to heaven. Um, we want them to know that the blessings of God's design. And all these come in obedience to God's command. As we think about love, we also need to think about our own love. Is it consistent with God's design? Now, we can't break God's design and think that we are being loving. We can't break God's law and think we are being loving. There are, there are many people who think they are loving because they feel strong emotions towards somebody. There are um, others who think they are loving just because they want someone else to be happy. And both those can miss something which is really important about biblical love. We need to ask ourselves, right? Is the way that we think that we're loving, is that consistent with what God's design is? It's a pretty important question. Do our uh, actions line up with what is really loving according to God's plan and design? Well, that turns, leads us to our passage today, Romans 13, 8, where we read this. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What this is pointing us to is that for all of the law, the commandments of God that we see, that all the ones that are given, they're directed towards one end, and that end is love. We look at verse 9, and it goes on to say this, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you know those four commandments that are listed up there, uh, the four that are listed are part of the Ten Commandments. And as he writes in there, he says, any other commandment, we see that you know, even these four are meant to be a summary of the whole thing, of all ten that are there. He just didn't write them all out. But he's, he says that these and all the commandments are summarized in that word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The point here is that the Ten Commandments themselves are given to us to show us the parameters of love. How do we love? I mean, the Ten Commandments give us some very helpful and very important instruction on it. Sometimes we wonder, well, how do I love? How would I love somebody? Well, the Ten Commandments are, what he's saying here is the commandments like this are good instructions for us in knowing what loving behavior looks like. Jesus confirms this when he, in Matthew chapter 22, if you want to turn over there, Matthew 22 and verse 35, we see Jesus dealing with one of the big issues of his day of his religious opponents come and speak to him, and they want to know what the greatest commandment is, right? And his answer is, is love, right? Uh, verse 35, Matthew twenty-two thirty-five. one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, he said, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So this is one of these uh, places, Matthew 22 and then uh, Romans 13, where you see the teachings of the Apostle Paul and the teaching of Jesus matching up, lining up. It's the same word, consistent, inerrant, showing us what God's heart for his world is. Now, verse 10, I'm going to go back to Romans 13 and verse 10 and just finish out this passage. We see what it says, that love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the filling of the law. So when we take a passage like this, we see how it orients our understanding of the laws of God. They're not just a checklist to say, well, hey, I'm a good person because I do this and I do this and I do this and I haven't done that and I haven't done that and I haven't done that. Not just rules that God plucks out of the air saying, hmm, you know, I'm going to create the world. What rules shall I create for them? Um, they're not just things that God has a law that's over him. God has no law over him. He is sovereign. He is unique, right? Um, you know, they're, they're not that either. You know, the commands that we see in the scripture, like in the Ten Commandments, are expressions of what pleases God. And why does it please God? It's because they are reflections of his own character. They're a reflection of his own nature. Last week, we looked at 1 John 4, 8. And it described God in three words. God is love, right? God is love. And so if the commandments summarize love then the commands are summarized by the character and the nature of God. His character and nature is what drives what those commands are. It's one of the things that helps us see that the Ten Commandments or things like that have an ongoing relevance into the church. It's not like love disappeared when Jesus came. No, again, they're reflections of who he is. They're reflections of his love to the world, which is perfectly demonstrated, in fact, in Jesus Christ. And so... You know, when it comes to the observation of, of, of this kind of life, I mean, only God does it perfectly. We've sinned. We've fallen short of his glory. We've not done, not loved as, as we should. That's what the Bible reminds us of. In fact, Romans, or, uh, Galatians, Galatians 3.23, if you want to write that down, Galatians 3.23, it tells us what the law does. The law is a school teacher. It's like, it's like saying, hey, look at what you failed here, you failed here, you failed there. Why? to remind us that we need a savior, right? We're not perfectly loving, Amen. right? We've failed in so many ways, but God has provided a perfectly loving uh, savior for us who bore our sins, rose from, the death, rose from the dead to give us life. But once we believe that, do those commands still have relevance? Well, they do, right? It shows the pattern of life for God's redeemed people. The ways we express our love, of God the Redeemer. It's part of the character that God is forming in us. Sometimes I think of the laws like, um, the law of God is like a bowling lane. So when you go bowling, especially if you go with your kids, you're going to put bumpers up sometimes, right? What do the bumpers do? They keep you from going in the gutter. And the hope is that if you throw that ball down, down it, you know, they'll bump off the gutters and it'll end up hitting a pin because that's the goal, right? Especially when they're kids, you just want them to hit a pin or two um, over the time and not have every ball go in the gutter. Well, the law of God is like that. It's saying, hey, you know, over here, there's going to be a gutter. Over there, there's going to be a gutter. God says, I want you to know joy. I want you to hit the pins of joy. And so, you know, let's walk down there to know the joy of knowing God and, and, um, the blessing of, of good relationships, you know, the blessing of 
eternal life both now and in the future. All right, so what I wanted to do today was to take this passage, especially as it talks about the Ten Commandments, and just take a time and look at them and look at them and how they express the character of our loving God and how they also help us to see, well, yeah, what does love look like in my life? I'm going to go through all the Ten Commandments. We could spend weeks on each one, but given the time, I have a very abbreviated uh, ability to do it today. By the way, inside of it, I put all of the Ten Commandments, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which works through the Ten Commandments and what's required and what's forbidden inside of each of them. So there's two observations you might have as you look at this. Um, as you might notice that the first four commandments are related to love towards God. The last six commandments are related to love towards our neighbor. You know, so they're built like that. They're built as, as um, um, kind of a uh, way to understand how those things work together. But you'll also notice that if you look at how people have interpreted and understood it, that there's things that are required in the commandments and also things that are forbidden. And so often we think that, well, the commandments just tell me what I can't do, right? And as long as I don't do those things, I'm good. Well, I haven't murdered anyone, and I haven't committed adultery, and I haven't robbed a bank, so I must be an okay person. I'm going to have it, right? Well, you know, we realize, especially as you read something like this, to say, you know what, those commandments carry a sense of what we're supposed to do Instead, instead of doing those evil things, it's not only not doing them, but it's actually doing something positive. So I leave this with you to consider over the week, to read over, consider your own life, and um, to consider God's call um, to you. I wanted to go through all of them, but I realized in preparing I wouldn't have the time to do it as thoroughly as I wanted to. All right, but I do want to work through them quickly and to think of how these are instructions to us to love. You can see the first commandment there is you shall have no other gods before me. That's from Exodus 20, verse 3. And in that, we see something about God is that he is utterly unique. There is no one like God, and he is utterly worthy of our worship. And so if we're going to love God, as the Bible says we should, what do we do? We recognize his uniqueness. We recognize his worthiness in order to love God. We don't um, you know, mix up other religions. We don't worship other gods instead and deprive God of the worship that he is due. Sometimes people say that all religions are equal as long as it makes a person happy. Well, it's not accurate to the way that God created the world. It's false to God, and it also doesn't leave people or even societies to greater joy and greater love. They're products of the imagination of people. And so recognize the first commandment. If we're going to love God, we see his uniqueness and we see his worthiness of our worship. The second commandment, just very briefly summarizing it, is um, out of Exodus 20, verse 4 through 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them and serve them. Something we learn about God is God is a spirit, right? He doesn't have a body and you can't make a physical representation of God. What ultimately looks like as we think about our love for God is that we treat God as he would want to be treated. You know, we respect him for who he really is. He really is a spirit. We respect him how he's revealed himself in the word. We speak truly and accurately to his nature, to his work, not in some imaginary way. And with the way that people, um, common people, people commonly, not common people, people commonly tend to theologize, it's a lot of people like to make up their own stuff about God. Instead of going to the word, you know, what does it say about him? People say, well, this, I kind of like this about God, and I like that about God, or I'd like a God who did this. 
And so they kind of make up God in their mind instead of going and saying, you know, what does the Bible reveal to us about God? Second Commandments really um, points us to the fact that, you know, we, we cannot rightly love God and misrepresent him. And so we go to his word and we, we um, speak of him and to him in ways that he's revealed about himself. That really leads into the third commandment, which says in Exodus 20, verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know, there's something which is expressly stated in this third commandment, that God is holy, God is worthy of our worship, and as a result, we treat everything about God with honor and with respect. Remember that God is personal. And, and as we think about any person, um, you know, every person has an identity, and it's important to, to respect that identity of that person. We, we like to be respected as, as the people that we are. Um, you know, God is personal. It's important to recognize him for who he is, um, not misrepresenting him in our words or in our actions, especially as Christians. You know, as Christians, we even saw a baptism earlier. There's a sense that we, we demonstrate who God is through our life through our actions, through our words. And it's a gross sin to do evil things and then to justify it by God's name. It's spiritually abusive to do so, to tell somebody, well, you know, I'm going, you know, you should go ahead and sin and you should do it in God's name because God wants you to do it. And that's a terrible thing to do. It's a violation of the third commandment or to say, I'm going to do something and, and God just wants to be, I'm going to break a commandment of God, but God just wants me to be happy. Right? A violation of the third commandment, using his name in vain. You know, times that we t- treat his word lightly, praying, violate, praying irreverently, speaking irreverently. Right? Part of love towards God is wanting him to be appreciated and glorified for who he is. The fourth commandment is in, uh, it starts in verse 8, I believe there, and it's to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We remember something about God's nature here. He's personal. He, he, he's personal. And, and we love God by prioritizing time with him. I mean, by prioritizing time with God, it demonstrates his worthiness, his wonders, the joy that we have in his presence, and is also part of his pouring back into us for our joy, our contentment, and our sense of purpose and life in living for his glory. That's why he, he commands us you know, to um, gather together, to spend one day in seven with his people, um, whether it's in public worship like this or whether it's in private worship, whether it's in our families, you know, it's part of our obedience to him and obedience of love. If you think of somebody who doesn't want to spend time with you, you would immediately think that they're not a person who loves you. How do we spend time or how do we spell time? Uh, Sorry, messed that up. How do we spell love? We spell it T-I-M-E, right? We spend time with the people and with the things that we love. And part of uh, the Sabbath day is this recognition that, that God uh, calls you, wants to have time to worship together with you. And, and, um, and it is sad how often people are very dismissive of that, replacing meeting with God with something else inside of their life. But God calls us to assemble together as an expression of our love to him in worship. The fifth commandment um, says, honor your father and your mother, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. And in this, we see God's sovereignty. We see his authority over all of creation. 
And how do we love God and how do we love our neighbor? By recognizing that he has established authority structures in our world for our good and the good of others. Whether it's the family or whether it's the church or whether it's the state, God has set these things up so that people can flourish. And so if we're in a position of power and authority and responsibility, you know, Part of it is we recognize that that power and authority responsibility is used to be to do good for other people. And then if we're under that authority is we recognize that we have a responsibility to work for the good of that body and not be disruptive towards that. And so as those two things are done rightly, done well, well, according to God's law, what do we see? People prosper, God is glorified, and people are loved, and they do well. The sixth commandment, then, is you shall not murder out of Exodus 20, verse 13. What does it say about the character of God? He is the living God. He is God who has created us in our image. He is the only one who has the right over life and death. And so we love our neighbor in light of this command by respecting the life of all people from the womb to the tomb. That loving God means respecting the image of God in all people, even in ourselves. God is the giver of life, and we respect his laws around that life. And so there's no, no murder that's allowed, no unjust violence that's there. Even self-harm is something that is, is forbidden. As far as, it, you know, and it goes so far that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that if um, a person is angry, towards another person, is that they have uh, broken this commandment. And so this is something that applies to all people regardless of their ethnicity, uh, their religion, even their behavior, is that we recognize that we respect them as an image bearer of God and we respect their life, especially when it comes to the preservation of of that life, even if they're an enemy. Right? We can't love others at the same time we wish ill for them. All right, the, sixth command, or the seventh commandment then is you shall not commit adultery. And we see in this commandment uh, a you know, picture of God's faithfulness. We uh, see a picture of God's holiness in, in all that he is. He's created that world, the world originally, to, to reflect that purity, reflect that holiness And as a reflection of his perfections, his call to us is to be faithful and chaste in in all sexual activity. And that's a part of our love of God to treat others with sexual purity, to see that God has given marriage as the only proper place of of sexual expression. Recognizes that marriage is designed by God to be between a biological man and a biological woman and to last for life, for the raising of children and the work that we have to do in our lives. Uh, It's a command that's about directing us and others towards the goodness of God and the gifts that he has provided. Now, one thing about sexual activity, this is really important, is that uh, sexual activity outside of mutually consenting marriage, it it takes advantage of others, and it is unloving. And that's really important to see, is that outside that marriage relationship, it takes advantage of others, it's unloving. It's taking from others something that cannot rightly be taken given without doing some sort of injury towards another person. And it's one of those areas that we see that that when it's wrongly understood, and the way it's understood by the world, um, as as being unloving when people say it is loving. 
right? And it's, it's understandable that people would mistake things like this as love uh, because there's a lot of um, powerful emotional experiences, powerful hormones that take place inside of uh, some of the behaviors which are grounded in this. And, you know, those gifts are given as, as gifts of God. They're, they're given for something to be experienced within proper marital expression. Um, but outside of that, you know, that it's not love, even if we feel like it's love. It's a violation of God's commands, violation of his design, violation of our own integrity, right? How many people have done damage to their own soul, damage to their own well-being in decisions they've made in this, in this area? And it's not loving towards another person. At least it's not the love that God commands, right? And it's not just about our bodies. It's also about the use of our words and our thoughts, that's how powerful this area it is. We love God and others by thinking chaste thoughts about good things. Chaste thoughts about good things. All right, so that's the seventh commandment. What about the eighth commandment? The eighth commandment is you shall not steal. It's a reminder to us that God owns all things, right? Psalm 24 says that. Psalm 50 says that. And he gives us the things he gives us so that we can glorify him in that. And by us stealing from somebody else, we rob them the chance to glorify God in that area. That's, that's not love, right? It, it also means using our own resources in a way that glorifies God, whether it's in uh, using them to cultivate, um, to be blessing to others by providing a good um, service to the people around us, or whether it's being generous uh, with the people um, who are in need around us or generous ultimately to the Lord. You know, the resources that we have are ultimately given to better people around us. The ninth commandment is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's a reminder that God is true and he always tells the truth. It's a good warning to us about the sins of the tongue, gossip and slander and how they tear people down. And what our calling to do, like Ephesians 4.29 tells us, is to encourage one another, be a blessing to other, lift other people up. But as ground, you know, um, we always love others by telling the truth. Lying is so destructive towards what love is. It's important to be true in our words. And finally, we see the 10th commandment. The 10th commandment, Exodus 20, 17, you shall not covet. And really this comes out of um, God's own generosity, right? God is loving and God is wise and God is good to us. And we can't love God when we're discontent with what he has for us. We can't love God if we think he's holding something good from us back. We can't love others if we secretly want something that they have, right? Instead, we, we trust God. We trust God in the things that we don't have and realizing that's not his will for us to have them right now and to be content with that, even as we work or have ambition, whatever it is, is we trust that we are where we are by the hand of a good and sovereign God. Now, it's important to see that this command comes last. What does that remind us? It reminds us that of all these commands that are described here is that God is concerned with the heart. It's not enough not just to steal, but we ought not to want to steal. It's not enough not to not commit adultery, but we ought not to want to commit adultery. It's not enough not to kill, but also not to want to murder somebody, right? God is concerned with the heart. And so remember that as we come to that last commandment, especially. God's concerned with your heart. And if you see the other bookend, right? Number one, you shall know their gods before me. 
It's a direction for our worship. Right? Where is all, you know, as we look at these commandments, why do we do it? We do it out of love for God. And it flows over in the way that we treat others. We can't really love others rightly unless we have first that love of God, which is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. So we see these two bookends. Why do we do what we do? For the glory and the honor of God, to have no other gods before him, not even myself, but I worship God, I obey his commands. The last command is, you know what? It's not just my outward behavior, but it's my inward heart that God is concerned with in making me a loving, in me becoming, well, me imitating his love in the world. All right, so that's the Ten Commandments. It could be called the Law of Love. Um, now, what do we want to do out of all this? My belief is that, you know, you're here, you want to follow Jesus, and that you want to be able to love as Jesus loved. Uh, you want to be able to love better. I mean, and, and we know that. I mean, the only real path of a meaningful life is, is to be able to love. A love that's done in God's name. And like I said earlier, if we're honest ourselves with what the Bible says about love, we see how we fall short in, in so many ways. And maybe even you're here and you feel crushed under your failure to love. Maybe something in the list or maybe a number of things in the list. You know, we want to love more, but we often fall, find that we fall short. And so what do we do? We, we turn to Christ. We turn to Christ by faith. It's because he restores us. And he renews us. He restores us, forgiving our sins, right? As you turn to him, realizing how you've broken those commandments, he, 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 he forgives. Cleansing you of your sins. Restoring you to fellowship with God. But he also renews. Sending out in his love. You know his love and sending you out in greater love. Not just in cold compliance, but a warm response of desire for the good of God and others. So the important thing of any of these commands is you don't get them simply by trying harder at them. You learn them as you know the love of God in Jesus Christ. Right? You know his love that he's shown to you in Christ. Christ fulfilled all these commands in his love for you. And as you know his love, that's how you grow in love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as, as the psalmist says, and we sang earlier, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. God, we love it because it shows your perfections. We love it because it shows Jesus' perfections. And we love it because we see how we and others prosper in walking in your law. We ask, Lord, that you would forgive us for the way we failed in obeying your law and in love. We ask you forgive us for our failure to love you and others as we should. But Father, we're so grateful for a Savior who has perfectly obeyed that law. And so Father, as we know him better, God, would you fill us with his love? God, we ask you to help us be able and willing in that to keep your commands and to love others the way that we should. We ask you for these things, totally dependent on Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.